Our, our country uh, in 1979 was not in a great place. Our country in 1979 was not in a great place. Um, some people here may have lived it. Um, I've only heard about it, but 1979 was not the greatest of years for our country. At the time, there were gas lines going on. There was inflation that was, that, that was through the roof. You had things like uh, the Soviet's occupation of Afghanistan. You had things like the Iranian uh, hostage situation. 1979 was not a good year in the country. It got so bad to the point that when Jimmy Carter, our president at the time, uh, spoke out to the American people in one of his speeches, in a famous speech, he said that the American public right now has a crisis of confidence. A crisis of confidence. That the American people at the time were, seeing, were thinking that the best years of the country were behind it. And, that, and, and looking forward, there wasn't a whole lot of hope. I think I can, we can liken 1979 in the United States, I think, to where we stand today with our church. I don't know about you, but you, you may feel the same frustrations with the church a lot of times that I tend to feel as well. When's the next scandal going to hit the news? Catholics seem to be slowly just kind of drifting away where we don't believe what it is that we say and that we preach and that we proclaim in the creed. That we just kind of see the faith eroding away. And that was, that was at the new year of 2020. I've been using this phrase, I've been using this example to some people, but I think what the coronavirus did was the same thing that Hurricane Katrina did with, her, with coastal erosion. That we've been knowing coastal erosion was the thing and that it's been an issue and that over time we've watched half of Grand Isle fall back into the Gulf. The marshlands around it, that now when we go over the bridge, it's water and no more land. But Hurricane Katrina did 30 years of damage in three days. I think the coronavirus, in a lot of ways, has done 30 years of damage over the course of one year. But the eroding of the faith is just kind of, the, the sea has just seemed to claim it back. The chaos of the world has just seemed to claim it. So 1979, United States, and today, 2021, church seems to be a, a similar situation. Now, I'm all about, if you know me, um, you know that I'm a sports fan. You know I love a good sports analogy. We're not going to talk about LSU today. Don't worry. Um, that'll be, I'm sure that'll come back up. But in 1979, one of the things that was going on as this kind of chaos was ensuing in our country, as this crisis of confidence was setting itself in, was in Colorado Springs, there was a call out that was taking place for the U.S. Olympic hockey team. And coming out of that call out, 20 men, over the course of the next nine months, 26 men were whittled down to 20, and a bunch of college students were going to try and play hockey 
and try and make a statement about the United States. These were a bunch of uh, immature, young, kind of crazy kids that just happened to mainly be from Minnesota, Boston, and a few more sprinkled throughout the Midwest. There was nothing special about them. There was nothing great about these kids. Some of them had won championships in high school and in college. That was great. They didn't really like each other because they were kind of at, at odds and rivalries during the course of, of their college careers. But nevertheless, 20 men from around our country that nothing was very special about had a coach that was just crazy enough to believe that they could do something special. His name was Herb Brooks. In an interview years later, Herb Brooks would say that he, his goal in the entirety of that, that round of the Olympics, his number one goal was to beat the Russians. Now, if you don't know about hockey, because we're from, we're from South Louisiana, and the last time we saw ice, literally the entire, the entire state shut down, right? But if you don't know about hockey, at that time... The Russians were an absolute powerhouse. They had won the gold medal in 1964, 1968, 1972, and 1976. They had been the four-time gold medalist, four-time defending gold medalist, and in their first two games in the Olympics, they won 33, a combined score of 33-4. to four. Hockey, you don't score that high. So this is where you see our, our ragtag group with a crazy coach saying that we're going to say, we're going to go against and beat the Russians. They were just crazy enough to believe that they could do something special. They get into the, they get into the Olympics. The, or, I'm sorry. The week before the Olympics, they do an exhibition game. And this crazy coach said, you know what? I'm going to try my team against this Russian team. They went up with their best shot. The score was 10 to 3. It's not a football game, y'all. <laughs> the score was 10 to 3. And people that were in the building said it might as well have been 100 to nothing. These kids had no chance. They were going to go to the Olympics. They were going to embarrass themselves and the country. And the crisis of confidence was just going to continue. They get into the Olympics, and they find another gear. They find themselves through the preliminaries. They make a good move. They, they, they do well. They find themselves in the medal round, and who do they have to play? The Soviets. They were facing the biggest foe that they possibly could face. They were facing the biggest moment that this team had prepared for, and sure enough, when the clock hit zero, the score was 4-3, USA. Lake Placid, New York, 1980. 4-3, this ragtag group that nothing was special about them, going up against the evil empire with a crazy coach. They found their way to win 4-3, and Al Michaels' famous words, do you believe in miracles? Yes. Now why do we start there? I think we can learn something 
for our church, for our situation today, from this ragtag group of 20 college kids and a coach that's a little bit crazy. I think today, as we look at the gospel, as we look at our first reading, as we look at the feast that we celebrate, the way in which our church has been founded, our church is founded by ragtag nobodies following someone that seems crazy. Our church has, has, has thrived in times where we had ragtag nobodies that followed somebody who seemed a little bit nuts. Look at Jesus calling his disciples. Five fishermen, a tax collector, so basically an IRS agent. Nobody likes those, right? A zealot, and just a couple of other nobodies following a homeless guy walking around for three years. A group of ragtag nobodies with someone who seems a little bit nuts. See, the Holy Spirit is what we celebrate today. The Holy Spirit descending upon the church is what we celebrate today. After Jesus dies, after he resurrects, after he ascends into heaven, we find all of these ragtag nobodies hiding out in an attic. They're in the upper room. They're afraid. They don't want to, they don't want to cause an issue because they may be killed for preaching Jesus' name. They may, they may actually have some consequence behind going out and doing what Jesus said to do. As we talked about last week in the homily, they wanted to just stand there and look up and wonder, where did you go? They wanted him to come back. And whenever he didn't right away, they went hide. But Jesus appears to them, breathes on them. They receive this, the, the, the Holy Spirit, and then they are sent out loudly, proudly, and boldly to go and preach and proclaim the faith without any sense of what the consequences might be. Their love for God outweighed the consequence that might play out in their life. When you look at the game, the, the 1980 game against the Soviets that the U.S. played, uh, Herb Brooks, he, uh, he, he, in an interview, they asked him, they said, what was your tactic? Like, what was it that you did differently than what everybody else had tried to do against the Soviets? Like, what did you, what was your game plan? And Brooks said, he said, I had studied the, I had studied the Soviets so much. I had seen how, how much they played, how they did their offensive passing drills. I saw how they, they I, I, I could map out their plays. I knew exactly what they were going to plan on doing. And they were a powerhouse at being on offense. And most of the time, what teams would do is they said, you know what, we're going to play really, really good defense. We're going to hope to stop you, and we're going to try and beat you one to nothing. That was what most people's tactic was against the Russians, against, the, against this powerhouse of a team. Brooks said, we're not doing that. We're going to throw their game right back at them. We're not going to sit back and just play good defense. We're not going to try and win one to nothing. Brooks said, we're going to be on the offensive for this game. We're going to go. We're going to play an offensive game against them, and they're not going to know what to do. 
What would it look like for us as a church? Just imagine with this imagine this with me for a moment. What would it look like if us as a church would play an offensive game? I think right now what we tend to do as a church is we tend to wait for all of the stuff of the world to come and knock on our door. That all of the things of the world, all the issues of the world, all the questions of the world, they're going to come to us and knock on the door. Gay marriage is going to come to us and knock on the door. Abortion is going to come to us and knock on the door. Racism is going to come to us and knock on the door. And we're going to be able to give the gospel, but when, it's only whenever they're going to approach us. And then we can play defense. Give the right answer. Share the right video. Give the right talking point. Point at a scripture. Okay, good. We defended it off. But playing defense doesn't seem to be the answer. Because the chaos of the world is still scraping away. What would it look like for a church that lived our faith on the offensive? What would it look like for us as a church, the community of believers here, the 250 of us that are at church today, what would it look like for us to live our faith boldly and profoundly? To be able to speak the word of God, to share, as the, the, as the apostles did in the early church, to share testimony about how God has impacted my life. What if every baptized Catholic would take that step? See, God is not calling us to play a defensive game. God is not calling us to step back and to just deflect the attacks that are coming from the world. God is calling us to be the initiator, to go out, and to live an offensive, proud, loud faith. I know in, in my life, that, that a lot of times for us, the, the easiest thing, the, the most important thing is for us to give a simple yes, that Lord, I'm going to do this. To just say that, yes, Lord, I am going to follow whatever it is that you're calling me to do. In our church's history, there have been a lot of corners of the world that have just, that, that, that amazing moments of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit has taken place that were really forgotten little nothing villages and towns. Like, what do I mean? Um, Assisi. We cannot think of Assisi without thinking of St. Francis. If you've ever been to Assisi, Assisi is a borderline village. There's nothing special about it. It's on the countryside in Italy. But because one man said yes in a bold and profound way, said, I'm going to live my life, my faith, in an offensive way, not offensively, but in an offensive way, that I'm not going to sit back and deflect, but I'm going to do what God is calling me to do radically and boldly. CC is a hub of the church. You can look at Siena, same thing with St. Catherine of Siena. You can look at ours with, in France with John Vianney. 
What's the difference between Avila with St. Teresa? What's the difference between Avila or ours and Raceland? There is none. The Holy Spirit wants to work a miracle and change the way the world operates here today in the same way that he has done over and over in the history of our church. God sends us out, but he doesn't send us out unequipped. You see, the divine life, God himself, we know God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's three persons, one God. We're going to talk about that next week because that's the Trinity. But God himself dwells in me. God himself today is going to step down into this world, into these candidates for confirmation. By virtue of our baptism and confirmation, we have all of the gifts of the Holy Spirit flowing in our hearts and in our veins. God simply wants us to say yes. God simply wants us to say yes, that I'm willing to live my life and live my faith in an offensive way. On the offense. The Holy Spirit is active in our church. Otherwise, we wouldn't have survived this long. But God is calling you and I both to go and to proclaim the faith, to be docile to that spirit, to simply say yes. Our world around us is chaos. Our world around us either doesn't care about us or is outright against us. But we find ourselves in the same situation that the early church did. Twelve people empowered by the Holy Spirit. A handful of disciples empowered by the Holy Spirit. Broke out of an attic in Jerusalem. And 2,000 years later, we're here in the church. May we... Be bold enough and docile enough to allow the Holy Spirit to unleash us as Catholics on the rest of the world. If God can make make some miracles happen through 12 in an attic in Jerusalem, what could he do with 200 of us here? Today, we say yes to living our faith on the offense.